The following message is from Bear Creek Church. More information about BCC is available at bearcreekchurch.org. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 13. We're at another new section in the book of Acts. Saul, who will from this point on be referred to as Paul, begins his missionary journeys. He is the apostle to the Gentiles. But we should also notice that one of the, one of the things that Paul repeatedly says in the book of Romans, he says to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And he tends to witness this way. We see this in this morning's text. He goes to the island of Cyprus and we'll see him going to the Jew first in the synagogues travel across the island, and then on that other side, uh, proclaim the gospel to the proconsul there. So what really stands out in his going is how the Holy Spirit led the church in Antioch to send him, and how the Holy Spirit equips him with power as he proclaims God's word. The Holy Spirit led this, this church in Antioch to send Barnabas and Saul. And so our focus as a church is how we too might be led by the Spirit in our day. It's hard not to read through this book of Acts and just think, wow, this is, it's beautiful. It's powerful. Should we be like this? And the answer would be, well, yes. In a lot of ways, yes. In some ways, no. Yes, because the Spirit is still active. Christ rules now from his heavenly throne. So this being true, there are similarities that carry over to us. And there are some differences. And we we need to see those differences in order to avoid error. For example, we need to understand the unique role of the apostles in this first century church. The foundation that's laid as God spoke through them as unique witnesses, first-hand witnesses, witnesses who wrote and completed God's revelation in the New Testament. So in light of this, we need to think about the role of a prophet. A prophet is mentioned, prophets are mentioned in our text. How the Holy Spirit leads us today. We need to think about that. Are there prophets? And what remains the same is that Jesus, Jesus ascended to rule. He sovereignly works through his people. He's poured out his spirit upon all who are saved. And he calls us to go and make disciples. We are, we are connected to that first century church. We are a part of that same church and there are lessons for us to see and and follow today. So it's exciting to read about the birth of the church, to recognize that we, we exist today as Christians because of these events that we're reading about, because our sovereign God worked through these people to go and spread the gospel from Jerusalem to all of Judea and Samaria, and then to the end of the earth, and eventually to the far distant land of Oregon. We are connected. It's amazing to read about 
there are many sufferings. We've talked about suffering and sufferings continue to exist. What an example to see what they endured, the sufferings and, and how they responded in faith. That in response to actual threats and imprisonment, what do we read about these people doing? They actually pray, Lord, make us even more bold in poverty. Instead of hoarding as individuals, scattering, and we've got to take care of our own selves. What do we see? We see, we see unity. Selling their possessions to help those in need. The family. That in a time of, also a time of deception within their own. Remember Ananias and Sapphira and their, their lie in selling their property. How does the church respond? Well, it responds with, with a right fear of God. That when facing persecution, they spread the news all the more. When James, their leader, is executed, and Peter is imprisoned and awaiting his own execution, what do they, they they gather and they pray all week long, 24 hours a day, and the Lord answers them. What we've seen throughout the book of Acts really is one satanic attack after another and our sovereign Lord defeating his enemy and causing his church to grow all the more steadfast, all the more trusting in him. We've seen the reality of what Jesus promised, that the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. And this should give us this should give us great confidence. We look at our world. We wonder what's going to be happening. The church has been there before. And we should respond in the same way. The gates of hell will not prevail. But there, there will be trials. There will be spiritual attacks. There will be times of suffering. Throughout the history of the church, this has always been the case. In other parts of the world right now, this is their reality. So it's naive for us to think that we, the way things have been going in the American version of the church, we have our own types of attacks. It's naive to think that there won't be some different kinds of attacks going on, some different kinds of sufferings for us. Acts shows us what's important. Acts clarifies the reason that we exist as a church. What our, what our priorities should be. How we're to grow. How we're to, to follow the Spirit's leading. What does Jesus want his church to be? Sadly, it seems that so much of the emphasis in the American church today has more to do with emotional experience and entertainment has more to do with that than equipping, being ready for whatever the enemy may bring. The church today seems to have more to do with felt needs and programs than sacrifice for the sake of God's word increasing and multiplying. So we need to pray. We need to actually pray, Lord, make us even more bold. Or, Lord, we rejoice to be counted worthy of these sufferings. Those are the prayers that we read about in Acts. And without this attitude, 
It's no wonder that so many churches are either, they're either irrelevant or they give in to the pressures of the culture and they embrace various sins of the culture. And the church is not the church, if that's the case. If we're about our own comfort and entertainment and hearing inspirational talks that don't really require God's word, then we won't have a mindset like these brothers and sisters who would rather, they would rather suffer. They would rather die than compromise the truth of God's word. So the book of Acts, it's, it's really eye-opening. It's not just who the church was. You're not just reading history. Yes, it's history, but it's who we're meant to be. And so, with that in mind, let's begin. Let's, let's begin in prayer and ask for the Spirit's leading. Join me in prayer. Almighty God, we praise you for the fact that all things are under your sovereign care. All things are from you and through you and to you for the sake of your glory. And you've, you've called us. You equip us. You so graciously use us for things that matter, for things that last, things that we've been talking about already this morning. Serving one another, serving families affected by disability, giving for the sake of supporting missionaries all around the world. It's all because you sent your only son who accomplished our salvation. And we praise you that Jesus is risen, that he is seated in glory, that he is not absent, but presently ruling as the King of Kings, the one who was sent, who has sent the Holy Spirit to be our helper, as we're called to be a part of your kingdom, being witnesses to the gospel, proclaiming your word, building your church. So as your church, we want to do your will. We want to be used by you. We want to, we pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would lead us. Give us discernment. Give us wisdom for the days ahead. Thank you for your word. Help us to better know you and worship you and follow the leading of your spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you're able, please stand one more time. For the reading of God's word, Acts 13, verses 1 through 12. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul. For the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia. And from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And they had John to assist them. When they had gone throughout the whole island as far as Paphos... They came upon a certain magician, a, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. 
But Elymas, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately, mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. This is God's word. You may be seated. Well, we can, we can read this and only think, well, this is history. At a time in the early church where we find it you know, hard to relate to this. A time when the Holy Spirit spoke more directly, telling Barnabas and Saul to go. A time with apostles who acted in power, rebuking and even blinding their opponents. And these things are they're exciting, and history is important for us to know. But what we really need to see and apply to our day is the fact that we too need to be spirit-led. We need to be a spirit-led church. We need to understand, we need to understand the differences here while also realizing the continuity. What what connection we have to this church? What, what remains the same? After all, isn't it, isn't it both beautiful and inspiring to read about these early Christians? Doesn't your heart long to have this kind of, this kind of community and worship and purpose? Yes, it, it, it looks different in the 21st century, in America, in our context, but... But love is love. Sacrifice is sacrifice. Faith is faith. So I want to ask the question, what does a spirit-led church look like? What does a spirit-led church look like? And answering this will involve both what it is and what it's not. What continues to this day and what does not, or, or maybe what functions a little bit differently today. First, and most obviously, a Spirit-led church is led by the Spirit of God. With this church in Antioch, it says, it says the Holy Spirit actually spoke to them. And the text gives us a quote of what he said. Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. The Holy Spirit is not a power, simply a power. He's not some impersonal force. And we can make the mistake of thinking of the Holy Spirit in this way. Power, force. No, he is the third person of the Godhead. 
the Holy Spirit. We've, we've been declaring in the Apostles' Creed that we believe in the Holy Spirit. Forces, energy, electricity do not speak. The Holy Spirit is not an it. He's God. More specifically, the third person of the Trinity, the Godhead, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It was the Father's plan to send the Son. It was the Son's role to accomplish our salvation. And it's the role of the Holy Spirit to apply this salvation to us. And He is sent to fill us, to help and empower us to do the work of God that He has given for His church to do. He is our helper. He is the one who leads us. Paul says in Romans 8 that all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. So we are led by the Holy Spirit. But when's the last time you heard him speak? Our text says that the Holy Spirit said this to them. And of course, he is able to audibly speak, but the But the chapter begins by telling us there were prophets and teachers in the church at Antioch. And so when I read that, I think my assumption is the Holy Spirit spoke through these prophets. He spoke through these prophets because, well, that's what prophets do. Prophets are the mouthpiece of God. All throughout the Old Testament, we have various prophets who gave the oracles of God. And they would begin by saying, thus saith the Lord. And we know being a prophet was serious business. Because if they said something that wasn't true, or didn't come to pass, what happened? They were executed by stoning. Serious claiming to be a prophet of God. God spoke to his people through prophets. But does he speak to us this way? Are prophets like this around today? Some churches say yes. And there are people who stand up and they claim to have a word of prophecy. And yet, they do so without the consequence of stoning when they're wrong. So it's a lot easier or less risky to claim God said today. And it's really done, I think, in ignorance because that kind of prophet no longer exists. That kind of prophet no longer exists. The book of Hebrews begins by saying, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us By his son. Jesus is the ultimate and final prophet. He is the very word of God who dwelt among us. And by this, I don't, I don't, I'm not thinking chronologically that prophets, that prophecy didn't take place after the earthly ministry of Jesus. It did. We're reading about it. We see it in our text. In the book of Acts, after Christ's ascension, There are prophets. So I don't mean chronologically, but there is a completion that takes place in Christ. 
There's a completion that takes place in Christ. As Jesus, Jesus is the final word. All that was prophesied in the Old Testament had to do with him. And this is the point of our New Testaments. Jesus. Prophecy has to do with the authoritative word of God. And Jesus Jesus is the culmination of all that God speaks to us. Nothing is added to this. And the danger of not seeing and applying this today is found in every single non-Christian cult that exists. Did you hear that? The danger of not understanding the role of a prophet today, that they don't exist today, you see it in every single non-Christian cult that exists. They make the error of saying there's another word. There's something more. There's another prophet. Another authority that is equal to God's word. So yes, there were prophets in the early church because the New Testament was not yet written. God's final word in regard to Jesus was not yet authoritatively given to us. There was still a need for God to speak through men. And we need to be clear that it was God speaking. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. In Acts 13, the church had prophets because the word was not yet complete. And today, we have something much more certain. We can read about this stuff and, it's, and it seems really exciting to us, but we really need to understand, we really need to realize we have something so much better, so much more certain. We have the absolutely authoritative and sure word of God. Anything done today that fits into this category of prophecy, it's the declaration of God's word. It's preaching. This is a prophetic ministry, declaring what God's word says. Or, you might think of this gifting or area of prophecy as as having to do with being guided through wisdom and the gift of discernment in regard to God's word. It always comes back to the authority of God's word. We are led by the Holy Spirit through the preaching and teaching of God's word. By discerning his will that's revealed to us in scripture. This is how God speaks to us today. And we need to be open to the Spirit's leading as we are convicted of sin. As we're encouraged to live in a steadfast and godly way as as this early church did. So a Spirit-led church is led by the Holy Spirit as he speaks to us through God's word. Second... A spirit-led church, what do we see here? They're, they're worshiping and praying. A spirit-led church worships and prays. Verse, verses 2 and 3 tell us that while worshiping and praying, they fasted. It seems that a spirit-led church has an intensity to their worship and praying. So much so that they fast. And fasting is not something that many of us do today. But 
if we want to be led by the Spirit, maybe we should. We probably should. Fasting involves foregoing something, typically food, for the sake of a spiritual focus and intensity. Not breaking for a meal, but continuing in your prayers. Continuing as those who are looking to God, relying upon Him for our deepest need or direction in life. In our text, they fasted while worshiping the Lord and they fasted while praying. Worship and prayer. When you think of worship and prayer... Do you think of this as something that you're, that you're offering to God? That it's primarily us speaking to God, singing to God. That the direction is from us to God. Telling Him of His worth. Casting our anxieties upon Him. And it is this. But many people have rightly pointed out that prayer, for example, it's not so much about a change in our circumstances as it is about a change in us. That through prayer, we are the ones changed, conformed to his image. That we're submitted all the more to him, wanting his will to be done. So yes, prayer is is effective and God uses it as a means to sovereignly work his will. But what he wants to change the most is you, is me. To change our desires. Conforming us to be a people that that resemble Jesus. So as we worship and as we pray, we need to have a mindset. When we're doing this, God changes us. Think of church as your need to be changed. As the unique place and time where God is doing something to you. You may not feel any different. You, might, you know, how often do we, we come to church, we sit, we sing, we pray, we listen, we go home and we think, eh, I didn't get anything out of that today. I, it happens. But over the years, over the years, repeated and consistent worship and prayer as his church It changes us. You are different because of it. God works through this means to change your heart as you sing truths about God. Through our time of worship worship and prayer, God causes us to better see his beauty, to trust him more, to hope in him more, to prefer his will over our comforts. Through worship and prayer, our priorities change from being self-centered to God-centered. Many of us know this about prayer, but really the same is true in our worship. As I mentioned last Sunday, when when we sing something like, I surrender all, it functions like a prayer. We're expressing what we know is right whether we actually do surrender all which we don't we know it's right we're expressing what's right because god is worthy he's more valuable than anything else that we have we're singing truth and in singing we're also praying lord let it be so 
We're praying, Lord, nothing I have is more important than you. Help me to surrender all things. Help me to see that you're that treasure in a field that's worth selling or surrendering all that I have in order to get. So as we sing, as we pray together, as we recite biblical truth and give financial gifts and care for one another as our spiritual family, these very acts of worship are ways in which God, He changes us. We worship. We pray Yes, because we need God and God uses these things to change us, to cause us to to love Him more and to want to go wherever the Spirit leads. So by worshiping and praying, a Spirit-led church is one that seeks God's will. We are changed into a people that seeks after God. This church in Antioch, think of it, they, they had the Apostle Paul. They had the Apostle Paul leading and teaching them for a year with Barnabas, the most encouraging guy ever, teaching, helping, encouraging them. What a great situation they had. And yet, and yet they're looking for more. They're not content where they're at. They're fasting in their worship and prayers, wanting to know, Lord, what's next? And how tempting would it be to respond to the Spirit's calling of Barnabas and Saul with, um, but they're our leaders. They're the best ones we have. Maybe, you know, send a young intern. That would be a good idea, wouldn't it, Lord? It seemed like it would be wise to, you know, send him, prepare him to maybe one day uh, pastor a church somewhere. How about we multiply that way, God? A spirit-led church really wants to know. It's earnestly seeking and then following the will of God. And before I, I, I think about before I was an elder, 25 years ago, at the start of Bear Creek Church, Pastor Dale and the elders, they sought the will of God, and God directed them, to set aside a percent of all giving to go to missions. We are who we are because that is what the Holy Spirit led this church to do at the very start. Set aside a percent of all giving to missions. Some of you will give directly to missions, but if you just give to the general fund, a percent goes to missions. So when you hear about all of the stuff that you've heard about this morning and you give... You're connected to that. You're partners in the gospel. You, for over 25 years, when you think about it, all of that money just for missions, it would have built us a, a, we would have a building. If we didn't do that, we'd be in our own building. It's that much money. And I'm thankful that we're here. Who knows what the Lord may do in in the future. But wow, I love being partners in the gospel. And you realize, you realize how wonderful this is when you, when you hear of lives being changed, marriages being changed through the ministry of Charles and Dolores down in South Africa. 
if you, if you read some of the updates from our missionaries, uh, we meet with the men's group. We Zoom Wednesday mornings at 6 a.m., and Pastor Sam is usually a part of that. Pastor Sam in Zimbabwe, and some of the stuff that he tells us, it feels like Acts. It feels like the, <laughs> the journeys of Paul, where people see Jesus and they repent of their sins and they're coming to him in faith and they're, and pastors are waking up to what the gospel is and then that ripple effect of them teaching those that they're shepherding. So it's, it's incredible. It's incredible. It's wonderful to hear about these things because, because our elders 25 years ago decided we're going to be a missions-minded church. Our missionaries, you know, Ricardo uh, is a part of that Zoom group too. Down, he and Vana and Vivi down in Colombia. They're they're planning this wonderful, solid, growing church, and the Lord is providing for them. Uh, the tells that we just heard about. We have missionaries in Turkey who truly worship under the threat that we see in the book of Acts, who are making disciples, who are translating the Bible. So as a spirit-led church, we need to continue to seek the Lord for what's next. Is it raising our, our current support for these missionaries? Is it going to another part of the world? Maybe somebody from here going? We send short-term missionaries. Maybe, maybe one of you Maybe one of your kids wants to be a missionary. Wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't that be wonderful? What a joy to hear from those who, who went and served and all of the efforts that God has used to, to, to bless and minister to families affected by disability. So is there something else? What else could we be worshiping and praying that God might do in the future? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But we need to be open. We need to be praying and worshiping and even fasting and seeking what God would have us to do. What God might provide. Some of these things, you know, they they just, when we dream, it's like, wow, it's just beyond us. We're just a little church in Medford, Oregon. These things seem too big for us. But isn't that just like the book of Acts? God working in ways that were beyond the church. Something only possible through the leading of God's Spirit. Here's something that we can be praying about. Who might God raise up here in the area of teaching or missions or another area of ministry? You know, Pastor Dale was so good about raising up leaders and challenging us to teach and then to preach and then encouraging us to get out of our comfort zones and build relationships and serve at Johnny and Friends. It's a vision. It's a direction that needs to continue, right? We have every intention of all of these things continuing. And something the elders have been talking about, when I just think of giving people an opportunity to grow in their gifts, who can teach? Who can preach? Something we've been talking about that, that I want you to be praying about is um, 
maybe creating another hour on a Sunday morning. Not, not another worship service, but an hour for teaching, not preaching, teaching. Teaching topics like marriage or family or what we believe doctrinal, doctrinally here at the church. And giving various people that we discern have a gift of teaching an opportunity to teach with question and answer, more interactive. Not a worship service, but a time of teaching, a time of equipping. I think that would be awesome. I think that would be wonderful. I don't know if anybody will come, but pray about that. I would love to see God raise up uh, more people and, and the gifts that he's given to you, opportunities to grow in those things. What do we really envision for, for this church? So be praying about this. There are many details for us to work out, but it's something that we hope uh, might begin in September. So be praying, feel free to ask questions, and we'll keep you posted on that. So a spirit-led church is led by the Spirit of God, is a church that worships and prays, is a church that seeks the Lord's direction, and a spirit-led church is centered on the Word of God. Barnabas and Saul are sent out by the Holy Spirit, and they go to the island of Cyprus, which is west of Antioch and off the south coast of Turkey. And as soon as they arrive at Salamis, on the east side of the island, it says that they proclaim the word of God. The Spirit led them to go, and not just go, but to go for the sake of proclaiming the word of God. Today, when, when people hear Spirit-led or Spirit-filled church... What they tend to think of is a church that puts on um, more of a show. I don't want to sound, um, I don't know, I don't want to sound overly critical or anything, but it's just interesting. When you use the term spirit-led, spirit-filled, we have a certain idea. It's more of a Pentecostal charismatic thing. Uh, Lights and maybe gold glitter coming out of the air ducts. People speaking in tongues, waving flags, a lot of energy, a lot of excitement. And there's nothing wrong with it. We ought to, you know, truth about God ought to elicit our emotions and our excitement. But, but that's the focus when most people hear that term, spirit-led, spirit-filled. They, they think of those kinds of things, miraculous signs, prophetic words, tongues. I remember years ago when a visitor came here. And uh, I heard about them leaving and making the comment, well, that's not a spirit-filled church. And it, and it struck me because I, had, I remember just thinking, wow, they really don't know what a truly spirit-filled church is because Pastor Dale, he preached the glory of Jesus. Jesus was everywhere in the worship service, in our songs, in our prayers, in the preaching of God's word. That, that is so spirit-filled. That's the, to the glory of Christ. And what's ironic is that the role of the Holy Spirit is what? To glorify himself? No. 
the role of the Holy Spirit is to glorify Jesus. So when you come to a worship service and Jesus is preached and sung about and everywhere, that is a Holy Spirit-filled service. That's truly what a Spirit-filled service looks like. The work of the Holy Spirit is to shine the light on Jesus. So when a church focuses on on tongues and signs and miracles and says nothing of Jesus and does not proclaim the word of God, that really is not a spirit-filled service. Not at all. The Holy Spirit is not at work in that because the Holy Spirit shines the light on Jesus. The Spirit led Barnabas and Saul to Salamis. And we don't hear about tongues. We don't hear about miracles. We read that they went into the synagogues knowing Jews would be there and they proclaimed Jesus. They preached the gospel. And then they traveled west across the island to the city of Paphos. And amazingly, the proconsul, the highest ranking Roman official over the entire province, so very important governmental leader, a man named Sergius Paulus, who's described, interesting that he's described as a man of intelligence. So he's, he's a powerful man, government official, and he summons Barnabas and Saul, who, who really are nobodies. They're nobodies, but apparently something about their message reached this intelligent leader before they arrived in in the city of Paphos. So he summoned them, and we think, wow, wow, what a great, what a great opportunity. God has made a He's made this straight line from Antioch to Paphos to bring the gospel to this important Roman leader, a man who'd who'd have great influence over many people. It's, it's wonderful. Ah, this is what the Holy Spirit is up to. The Spirit of God called them and sent them to this man. And we read in verse 9 that the Holy Spirit was with Paul. That he he, he's filled with the Spirit. That he's empowered him to do this work. And you may be thinking, well, what happens next is... Read the rest of the text. There's some miracles that go on there, Pastor Brian. seems like there's something, some big signs and... Stuff going on there. Okay, but it's not just, it's not about a show. You'll see that later. Yes, notice what it is that actually astonishes. What actually brings about the miracle of faith in Sergius Paulus. That's at the end of our text. It's a great story. It's a, it's a transition point for the ministry of Paul. And I love when an author, when Luke, in this case, when an author uses irony. I love it. I love seeing that. Here's what happens. Barnabas and Saul, they're summoned. They're summoned by the grand poobah of Cyprus. And we're introduced to a character described as a Jewish false prophet. A magician named Bar-Jesus. Interesting. Bar-Jesus. Bar means son of. So this man's name actually means son of Jesus. Whether, whether he's 
named after our Jesus or Jesus was a really common name. We don't know. But Luke mentions it. He's intentional. It's ironic. Bar-Jesus is also known as Elymas, emphasizing that he's a magician. In the ancient world, there were many who, who claimed to have these kind of powers telling the future, and they'd, they'd hire themselves out, they'd make a living by attaching to important people, rich people, um, to give their, their wise advice to them, to people who were in charge of making important decisions, like, like a, this government leader. So, when Barnabas and Saul come and give their message to the employer of Elymas, Elymas, of course, is threatened. This is his livelihood. This is my job. I'm supposed to be the advisor to this guy. He doesn't want to lose this, his biggest source of income. So he starts contradicting. He starts trying to convince his boss that these men, they don't know what they're talking about. Luke says that he's, he's seeking to turn him away from the faith. And this word turn means to mislead or twist or pervert. Now look at verse 9. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of deceit and villainy. I heard one author say um, he must not have taken the Dale Carnegie course, you know, how to win friends and influence people. He just, boom. Will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? Here's the irony. Paul calls Bar-Jesus, which means son of Jesus, son of the devil. He's saying, you call yourself the son of Jesus, the son of truth and righteousness, but what you really are is the son of the devil, the son of the father of lies, the greatest deceiver and villain of all. And then he says, stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord. The word crooked in the Greek is the same as that word turn. The Lord's paths are straight. His intentions are set. And he's sending Barnabas and Saul for this very purpose, this journey from Antioch to Paphos, a straight line led by the Spirit to proclaim the straight truth. And this son of the devil is turning. He's trying to twist the Lord's straight path. He's trying to mislead or pervert the work of the Spirit through the Word. Then something miraculous happens. Paul predicts the future to a fortune teller. (laughs) And he says that he's going to be blind for a time. Some mercy in that. He says, for a time. And immediately mist and darkness fell upon him. And this, this guide to the wealthy and powerful needs people to guide him, to lead him by the hand. It's a great story. It's filled with irony. And once again, once again, Jesus wins. The gospel triumphs. 
Luke makes sure to tell us that the real power here, the power that actually astonishes Sergius Paulus and brought him to faith, was not superior magic. It was not the supernatural act of blinding Elymas. No, what astonishes Sergius Paulus, it says in our text, is the teaching of the Lord. It's the Word of God. The Spirit-led church is not about signs and wonders and supernatural powers. No, what we should really be astonished by is the Word of God. The teaching of the Lord. We have a wonderful, a wonderful history it goes all the way back to Acts. It covers 25 years as Bear Creek Church. And we have this wonderfully solid foundation. Pastor Dale set us on the right course. A missions-minded church led by the Spirit, seeking the Lord's leading through worship and prayer and centered on God's Word. This is who we are. This is who we will continue to be. And we need to continue seeking the Lord's leading. Because we don't know what tomorrow will bring. But we trust that he will lead us. We need to be willing to go where he tells us to go and do what he tells us to do. So this is, this is a little bit of our history. This is a little bit of our thinking and vision for the future. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we praise you for the grace of Jesus and the work of your Holy Spirit that, that changes us as we, as we worship you. Give us a growing love for your church, a growing desire to seek your will, to continue to invest in the work of missions and outreach that that spreads the good news of Jesus both here in ministries locally and abroad. Lord, grow us. Grow us through the ministry of your word. Cause us to not be complacent, but to con continually be astonished by the truth and the power of your word. Give us understanding and confidence to stand firm and proclaim your truth. Lord, raise up leaders and missionaries and those who realize the gifts that you've given them for the sake of others, for the sake of your church, for the sake of the glory of your name. God, thank you for each person here. Thank you for your church, for our history, for whatever you have for us in the future. We love you and trust you and pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.